painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking. KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. What if I told you that storytelling is considered a method of performance that uses culture, history, and various mythologies to gather a community of people together? That it's a practiced form of art many would associate with big comedy shows or small campfires surrounded by close friends. Today on Artbeat, we invite you to sit with us as we share with you Sandbar Storytelling with our guest host, Claire Murphy. So sit back and relax as we introduce to you the beauty of preserving cultural traditions and wild Irish tales from Sandbar Storytelling, today on Artbeat. <laughs> so let me, uh, so I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you all kinds of stories, stories I've been collecting for the last eight, 18 years, and I find them in all kinds of places. So I'm going to start with some of the, the oldest stories I've found that are full of this wild madness that you also have here in Minnesota, and then, uh, and then I'll take into some of the stories I've found more recently. So, you ready? Yes. 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 Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, just a first icebreaker. Uh, what's your name? Claire Moore and Bridget Murphy. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, where do you begin? What do you want to know? A little um, bit? Like what I do, where I'm from? What are you thinking? A um, little, little bit of chapters of each. Like, let's start with your upbringing. So born and raised in Dublin, Ireland. Lived there till I was about 17 and then started travelling. Didn't become a storyteller until I was 30 uh, when I was living on the west coast of Ireland. And in between Dublin and Galway, I had lived in New Jersey, Colorado, Martha's Vineyard, uh, various parts of Dublin, and ended up in Galway. Cool. And uh, when was it that you decided to become a professional storyteller? It was sometime in 2006. Do you have a story behind that about what made what what made your brain click about how you became a how this came to you and yeah absolutely so I became a storyteller in two thousand and six but it started in two thousand and one so I was writing a children's book privately you know secretly in the dark and I showed it to somebody and she read it and said you need to look at storytelling so I started looking at storytelling and asking because I'd never heard about storytelling. And I ended up going to festivals and watching other storytellers. And I met a storyteller up in the north of Ireland called Liz Weir. And then I saw a storyteller in Galway called John Moriarty. And those two meetings, along with a lot of other things that I witnessed, made me go, this is interesting. And then in 2006, I was living in Galway. And there was a, a this little sort of impromptu arts festival called Project 06 where a lot of local people, a lot of local artists started creating their own events. And someone said, you know, you should put on some storytelling. So I started with my friends, kind of like we're sat here, Dylan, around a table, only there was a, like a candle and a bottle of wine. And we started telling stories. And it was the most natural thing in the world. It felt like breathing. And my friends said, we need to do that again. And I went, all right. We did it again, there were twice as many people, and then there were twice as many people, and then there were twice as many people, and people started inviting me to schools and libraries, and libraries started inviting me to festivals, festivals started sharing my name on. So within six months, it was like a, it was like a snowball to an avalanche. So by the time I finished college as a mature student, I had enough work that made me think, maybe I should try doing this as a job. And so that was the summer of 06, 2006, and then from there, it was like, it was kind of like jumping off the side of a mountain and learning to fly. Once, a long, long time ago, 
in a small village in Ireland, there was a midwife. Now, to be fair, there were midwives in every village because there were no doctors to speak of and there were definitely no hospitals. And this midwife, she lived in a little cottage on the edge of the village. And her cottage was much like everybody else's cottage. It was two rooms. There was one room that was maybe the size of the bed that was in it. And then there was the other room where everything else happened. Do you know, there was the big hearth fireplace where she'd do all her cooking and brewing of her tea and her little table and her chair. And, you know, it was strange. She often fell asleep in the chair, not in the bed. Because the chair was closer to the door. And there were knocks on the door all hours of the day and night. There'd be a sort of a <laughs> she'd get up. And standing there would be a man, red faced and sweaty, and he'd say, Right. And she'd go, the midwife, and she'd go to get her bag. Her bag, which was full of medicine and poultices and cloths, and she'd take the bag and she'd take the wisdom in her head, and she'd follow the man who would be now running, screaming across the village, and then get to another little cottage, the door had been flung open, and there'd be the woman <laughs> with the sweat and the tears and the blood and the water, and she'd look down at the woman and she'd say, You're all right. <laughs> she'd step down with her and she'd look up and say, you can go. And uh, the man would leave and she'd get down there and she'd start working. She'd start working with the woman and soothing her. Soothing her and singing to her and speaking to her. And getting her into the right position. She'd be moving the arms and the legs. And she'd be checking on the baby the whole time. And she'd be moving and massaging and talking and soothing her. <laughs> <laughs> and the baby would arrive. Just like that. <laughs> I haven't experienced it myself, so I need you to check. So she would wrap up that fresh little new life, that little boy, that little girl, and she'd hand them over uh, to the waiting parents, you know, the excitement of new life. And they would then pay her with whatever they had, which in those days, you know, wasn't much. So they might pay her with, with cheese or with bread. They might pair her with meat, or if she was lucky, they'd pair her with money. And then she'd go home. And that was her life. She loved her life. So one night, she was sat in that little chair, and it had been a long week. She had already delivered four babies. And she was sat there, and she had a glass of whiskey. Do you know, it was well deserved. <laughs> and so she was just, just starting to relax when there was this. So you said you started when you were 30. How long have you been a professional storyteller? So since then, I, I mean, I, it's 18 years in the county. I'm 46. You'd think that's 16 years, but when you count all of 2006, that's, anyway, it's 18 years of, of making my living as a storyteller. Huh. Yeah. Right. And, uh, a little side question. What are your thoughts on people see what you do and people see, think this is something that I want to get into. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Or what do you, what would you say to those people who want to take what you do and kind of make it their own? This is an interesting question. This is a very good question. There's a couple of things I would want people to think about. One is everybody tells stories. Everybody on the planet tells stories. 
if you want to do it as your career, it's a different thing, right? So there's, there's ways in which you can join storytelling groups and storytelling circles and you can just practice the art of telling stories. And I really, 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 really recommend that for absolutely everyone on the planet. If you want to do it as a job, like all art forms, it takes a lot of time. Uh, you end up sacrificing quite a bit of other things in order to get good at it. You, in the storytelling world, you end up traveling a lot unless you can, unless you live in a big enough place that you can get a lot of work where you are. So think about whether you, if you want that as your career, I would spend about 12 months looking at other storytellers and what they're doing and how their lives are and decide if that's what you actually want. Or if you want it as a hobby, then go do the moth and go do the storytelling circles and you know start getting your voice out that way. Because for other artists, for, for poets and for, well, for everybody really, I think storytelling as a hobby is a really good support mechanism, right? For supporting other skill sets that you can develop. But as a career, it, it, yeah, it just takes a bit more effort. And standing there, filling the doorway, was the tallest, most drop dead, And the man stopped the horse. 
He said, she's down here. And he let her pass all these tall, otherworldly people down into this little room. And in this room was a bed. And on the bed was a fairy woman. You could tell by the, the length of her and the face of her. But her belly was huge. And her face was twisted in pain. And the midwife, she knew her job. She climbed onto the bed. And she said, you, you can go. Hi, the, the belly had already told her so much so she could tell just by looking that the baby was breached. Right, so some of you know what that means is the baby's the wrong way around, so the feet were going to try and come out first, and that could be death to the mother and the baby, so she got to work. And she started pushing, pushing and pulling, pushing and pulling and talking, pushing and pulling and talking with Susan, and all the while, she kept saying, Char, Char, Char. Hour after hour after hour after hour, Char. I don't know if that baby hurt her, but that baby turned. <laughs> and finally, eight hours later, <laughs> 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 she was wrapping up that little knife when the tall fairy man came back in. He said, Well, she said, You have a son. And he reached into his pocket and he took out a glass jar and he said, Here. Cover the baby in this, the ointment inside this jar, but get none on yourself. Wash your hands carefully. She said, yeah, all right. And he left. Men were always saying strange things in the moment they became fathers, so she was used to it. She started rubbing his little tiny face, little ears, and then his little chin, and over his little chest, and she just rubbed her eye. She rubbed his little hands and finished covering him up and back to his mother. When the tall fairy man came back in, he said, wash them carefully. I heard you the first time. So she finished the washing and he brought her out of that little room and onto the horse and he turned that horse and if she thought they were fast getting there, they were home in a moment in front of her little cottage and he lowered her down. And he said, there is not enough money in the world to pay you for what you just did, but here. And she took the ball. And it was, no, that's gold. That's too much. She was alone. And she was rich. <laughs> and so she took the gold into her house and she thought, what do I do? What do I do now that I'm rich? It's a big decision. So she decided she'd, she'd spend the night thinking about it. She did. And she arrived into the morning light. She thought, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to be. Going to be a midwife. Yeah. <laughs> she loved her job, catching babies. But now that she was rich, once a month, a little piece of that gold. And she'd go down the market. And she'd buy herself something nice. A pair of shoes. Maybe a new dress. And she was there about a year later, and she was looking for something nice for her dinner, maybe. She was looking at the duck eggs, and the goat's cheese, and the sourdough bread, like you do, you know. <laughs> and she, she saw the man. I mean, she had never forgotten his face, you know what I mean? And she said, oh yeah. And he was on the far side of the marketplace, and he looked at her. And she said, yeah, you, how are 
Samaria, how's your wife, how's your son? And he crossed the marketplace and he was stood right in front of her. He said, can you see me? What do you mean, can I see? Can you stand in front? Of course I can see you. With which eye can you see me? With which eye? What kind of a question is that? With which eye? Oh, with this one. Oh. As soon as his hand touched her eye, she never saw anything out of that eye again. And never again did she see one of the fairy folk. She named her That is my story. <laughs> A big thanks to Claire Murphy and the people behind the scenes of the Sandbar Storytelling Fest for making this episode possible. Be sure to check out next week's episode for a part two continuation from our lovely guest speaker. To check out the Sandbar Storytelling Fest, visit sandbarstorytellingfestival.org. And to keep up with Claire Murphy, visit claremurphy.org or her Instagram at storyclaire with no spaces or capital letters. I'm Dylan Ozate, and for more talk about art or other similar events, tune into Artbeat Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. right here at 89.5 KQAL. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org. Thank you.